0: Welcome back to What Happens Next, the podcast that examines some of the biggest challenges facing our world and asks the experts what will happen if we don't change and what can we do to create a better future. I'm Dr Susan Carland. Keep listening to find out what happens next.
1: You know, when when someone comes into a hospital and they're hemorrhaging, You know, you can give them a blood transfusion, but the best thing is to actually stop the bleeding. So to me, the the number one thing is we absolutely have to stop carbon emissions.
2: So if we can reduce food waste, we can all actually reduce CO2 emissions and we can feed people who are hungry and we can reduce uh, water uh, usage. Um, so, So the benefits are enormous.
3: You know, we're all active players in the food system, so we need to demand more localised food systems and we actually have a lot of power to do that. It's not a response that fits with one, shall
4: I say, government department or one area of, of, of government or one area of society. I think collectively we all have a role to play.
0: In our first episode on the future of food, we discussed why more people are experiencing food insecurity than ever before. Australia's food system is wasteful and the global food system is badly broken due to the effects of climate change, political unrest, COVID recovery and more. Today, you'll hear more from some of the changemakers on the front lines of food, the people working to improve the underlying causes of food insecurity provide emergency food relief and even shape the future of agriculture. First up, Professor Ros Gledo. You met Roz in our last episode, but I'm going to let her introduce herself again because you need to hear this.
1: My name's Ros Gledo. I'm a professor in the School of Biological Sciences at Monash University, and I'm a plant scientist, and I study the effect of climate change on plants that can kill you. One of Roz's pet plants
0: is cassava. She told me it was domesticated originally in South America where they've been eating it for thousands of years. These days it's also the staple crop for about 40% of sub-Saharan Africa.
1: It's everywhere and it's eaten increasingly in the Pacific where it is uh, to some extent displacing taro in part of the diet.
0: And my understanding is that cassava could be a really useful crop as climate change becomes more of a problem and the planet starts to warm, is that correct?
1: It's a fantastic crop for tolerating high temperatures. Not very good at high salinity, so not good where the sea level rises, so some parts of the Pacific, but very good at high temperatures, very tolerant of, of drought, so it's a fantastic crop like that. The downside is that it's it's poor nutritionally. Are there any other downsides to cassava? It produces toxic cyanide. Quite a lot of plants do that, but cassava is the only staple crop that can kill you if it's not processed properly.
0: Do you think that as we start to see cassava perhaps used more globally as as climate change increases, that um, there might be the risk of increased cyanide poisoning in the population?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, a billion people eat cassava every day and every day probably somebody, I'm sure somebody dies from eating cassava and certainly there are thousands and thousands of people with a disease called Konzo when people eat a lot. So during the harvest season, uh, it's uh, it's much worse during times of drought um, and also during times of, of um, political conflict and the reason for that is well, through drought, the plant is actually making more cyanide and is to- more toxic in itself. But also there's less availability of other foods. So cassava is a great food for carbohydrate. If you're just looking at like food security from a point of view of enough calories, yeah, it's good. But it's it needs to be eaten with other things that have protein that enable you to detoxify the cyanide because your body can detoxify cyanide but you need protein to be able to do that. How would you define food insecurity, Roz? So food insecurity in the technical definition, my understanding is not having a reliable source of food. But it's not just the number of calories, it's actually the food has to be suitably nutritional as well. So you need to have a balanced diet. So food security is the to do with the availability of food, the ability to access food, stable supply of food. So food may be available, but if you don't have any money or you don't have transport to get to markets, um, you may be food insecure.
0: If we're going to feed the next generations, we'll need to rethink our agriculture, starting literally from the ground up.
1: It's important to think, oh, we can't just grow more food and take more land because we have to really work out how to increase productivity of food crops and improve efficiency of food chains and reduce waste in order to um, make sure we don't take more land because we need to preserve biodiversity there's a lot of apart from itself biodiversity itself has a right to exist you know but also it, uh, it disrupting biodiversity uh, increases the chance of those diseases jumping from animals to humans um, we have a disruptions to climate we have all kinds of things. So I think the, the, the balance there is very important. There's two types of farming in the world. There's the smallholder farms, which actually accounts for more, more than half of the world agriculture, and they can be improved in efficiency by adding fertiliser and more uh, better varieties. The other is the big broadacre farming, and that's been fantastic for really big production of food and has been the result of the Green Revolution. But what we really need is improved efficiency of using fertilisers exactly perfectly, harvesting exactly perfectly. And there are a lot of new technologies out there, robotics, um, uh, detection from satellites or drones that can actually, uh, agricultural technologies that can really monitor and deliver efficiencies that are beyond what we're currently seeing. And I think that together with the development of very targeted genetically modified crops that could be bred to be uh, to be very drought tolerant and so on i think there's a lot of opportunity for increasing the efficiency of production without increasing land area or increasing the inputs of fertilizer because that's what we need more crop production with less inputs and i think that that is possible what's getting in the way of developing more of those one of the uh, handicaps that we've got in developing new crops is that there's not enough plant scientists in the world. There's, been, there's quite a shortage and a lot of countries around the world have been cutting teaching in these areas. And there's currently a world shortage of botanists and plant scientists and particularly plant pathologists, people who work on plant diseases. And uh, so there really needs to be a, an investment, public investment in education around the world in those areas. So for the last 30 years, we have about 3% increase in, in, in crop yields year on year through the valiant efforts of plant breeders around the world. What we really need is more people working in that space. So more people working in plant breeding. We need people in public breeding programs because a lot of the, um, the space for the big crops is taken up by companies. And we need to diversify into other crops, some that are more drought tolerant. Cassava is one, but there are many others that are that are very drought tolerant or very salt tolerant, and reduce our rely our reliance on just such a few crops. You know, three crops basically supports most of the world. So there are complexities in this, but I think it is solvable. But we do have to really invest in developing the crops and in getting the systems in place but above all you know the thing driving this is right rising carbon dioxide you know when when someone comes into a hospital and they're hemorrhaging you know you can give them a blood transfusion but the best thing is to actually stop the bleeding so to me the, the number one thing is we absolutely have to stop carbon emissions we have to reduce them rapidly and we have to be actively doing research way beyond my era of research to actually pull those things, pull the carbon dioxide down as low, much lower than it is today. I think those things are really crucial. We really have to do those things.
2: Hi, I'm Ian Carson. I am lucky enough to have been a co-founder of Second Bite and a Monash alumni and uh, Second Bite rescues fresh nutritious food.
0: So how do the supermarkets or the markets, how do they decide what's not good enough for us to sell but is okay to give second bite?
2: So it's not really the supermarkets, Mm -hmm. it's us. Okay. It's the consumers. I don't blame the supermarkets, I actually blame us. Mm. And actually the supermarkets have responded really well. If we go back 15 years, they weren't doing anything um, but with us and others they've become really part of the solution. So so most of the food which gets wasted in supermarkets actually is collected now. So we've actually solved a lot of that problem. It's a great story yeah. that the supermarkets actually, and you know, a lot because their staff demanded it, have solved most of that problem and are helping charities like us to do even more. And so now the focus is on Helping the consumer to work out how they can do more, and also on the between the grower, the farm gate, and the uh, supermarket.
0: So, what is happening on that journey from the grower to the farm gate? Is it getting damaged in transit? Is it the farmer saying, "I can tell no one will want this wonky banana," and chucking it out? What's happening there?
2: It's a it's a combination of things. So, one is the consumers won't buy something which doesn't look right. So, mm. so it's, it's that's one. Two, it's um, sometimes markets that the product um, is being, you know, they can't sell it at the right price so it's cheaper for the farmer to plough it in. Um, there are millions of tonnes of bananas which get go to landfill every year because the cost of getting them to market or they're not the right shape, et cetera. And there are more and more things being done. Um, and then it's, you know, crops which fail where um, the fruit, um, you know, isn't isn't good enough um, or it's um, that there's floods. You know, we've had the recent flooding. yeah, um, and, and the supply chain disruption. So the last couple of years and one of your things was COVID, Um, There's been massive disruptions to pickers, to transport. Um, We've had the floods so people couldn't go and collect things. So um, there are a whole variety of problems or opportunities to be solved from the farmer through to the supermarket and for the farmer to know that there are solutions and to have easy solutions. I mean, in some ways, food rescue at scale, only started about 15 to 20 years ago. So it's not that long that we've been on this journey. And, you know, some industries, they've been going for 200 years. Mm. Um, so so everyone's learning how to redo the whole supply chain. And, I mean, the good news is that there are a lot of people who are trying to do things about this. So there's probably never been more focus on it, um, which is interesting, Susan, because when we started people didn't really get it. And so we have spent years talking to people about it. When I was a student at Monash University, we were looking at ways of feeding homeless people. Um, but it's taken all that time for society to really understand how bad the problem is.
0: What do you think happens if we don't try to address food insecurity in Australia? Um, what do things look like in the next 20 years?
2: Well, the amazing stat is that if... Food waste in the world was a, was a the CO2 emissions from food waste was a country. Mm. It would be the third biggest emitter in the world. Third biggest emitter of CO2 emissions. So if we can reduce food waste, we can all actually reduce CO2 emissions and we can feed people who are hungry and we can reduce uh, water uh, usage. Um, so, so the benefits are enormous, and and you know often people worry that um, individuals are, are powerless and and can't make a difference. But actually, you know every day an individual can make a just a little difference. Yeah. Um, so, your question was, what the world change. looks like yeah. if we don't change? Well, you know if we want if we want to reduce global warming, eight percent of it is food waste. So we so we can all do something about, about um, global warming just in our fridges.
0: We could do something by, uh, as you said, s- stopping wasting the food that we bring home, stopping buying that bag of spinach that we inevitably chuck out a week later. Um, we can be less superficial about the produce that we buy at the supermarket and buy the wonky banana. Is there anything an individual like me could do to help address that issue between farmer to shop where things you know uh, there's a lot of drop-off and waste there too is there anything I can do in that area
2: it's a it's a great question so there's a few things that 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 individuals can do you could do um, one is um, you could people could donate to second buye or other agencies that's a really simple. Thing You know, a couple of dollars a week makes a difference because we're going to the farmers. Mm. Um, The second thing is we can educate ourselves on how to reduce food wastage. Um, And if you go on the Stop Food Waste Australia website, which is a national initiative, which all the food rescue agencies are a part of, Mm. that will tell you how to reduce your own wastage. Mm. Um, And then... It's a matter – the other thing that we can do is grow vegetables in our gardens. Mm. Um, You know, I know – I've got a friend who um, during COVID he dug up his lawn and turned it all into vegetables and he does that with his kids now. So he's growing tomatoes and lettuces and cauliflowers. So growing our own vegetables is a very rewarding thing to do. And if you really wanted to – if you grow your own vegetables, you could actually donate them mm. to an agency nearby. So that would be really, really powerful. So I think the Stop Food Waste Australia website is a good one for people to have a look at. Um, there are also some food sharing apps. Mm. There's a thing called Olio and there are others where if you've got surplus food in your home, you can put it up and people can mm. access it so you can share it with other people. Um so there are some good food um, rescue apps uh, and I think, you know, talking about it, talking about the waste and and asking when you go to a shop, asking what do you do mm. with your waste? Mm. Because one of the reasons why, say, Coles change was because their employees said to them, what can we do about it? Yeah. And Coles, to their credit, listened to it. Yeah. So um, if we ask the questions, um, people start to think about it. There's a lot happening in the space. It's It's... Actually, it's exciting because every day it, there's innovation yes. and improvements in in what's happening.
0: So you feel hopeful about the future of food security.
2: I'm so hopeful and so optimistic because I think that people um, such as yourselves are in. People are interested yeah. in it and they want to know how they can help themselves and they know they can make a difference. So I think that's the great story about you know second bite and food rescue is. And the really interesting thing about it is that when we started, the the food industry in Australia is probably $200 billion, right? Mm. And, And it was a couple of Monash alumni and a couple of others who disrupted the whole food industry. Just imagine that. It wasn't the government. It wasn't. It wasn't the big supermarkets, it wasn't the manufacturers, it was a couple of Monash alumni who said, how can we fix this problem? Mm. And that, I think that's a, that's a great story. It wasn't just us, it was others. Yeah. Uh, but isn't that amazing that it, yeah. it, it, individuals can make that difference?
0: Food rescue operations like Second Bite are a good option for short-term emergency relief, but they don't address the root causes of food insecurity. Here's Dr. Sue Cleve of the Department of Nutrition, Dietetics and Food in Monash University's Faculty of Medicine, Nursing and Health Science.
4: This is a basic human right yeah. and you know it needs to have be have that dignity, have that choice. And, you know, yes, there is a need for a food safety net, exactly for what you were saying, you know, in times of emergency. But as an ongoing response of what we're seeing, and it's not only in Australia, it's also other high-income countries, um, that this is not going to solve the issue in the long term. So that's why it's really important that we start to really think long and hard around how can we actually address mm. this. Quite often the issue of food insecurity is called a wicked problem. By a wicked problem or a complex problem means that there's no one easy solution. So what
0: are some things that you've seen either happening in Australia or around the world which you think are really thoughtful, effective um, solutions to some of these food insecurity problems that you'd like to see implemented more broadly?
4: Yeah. Um, Look, I think if we look, I think as I said before, there's always a place we need a food safety net, so like a food relief safety net in that shape or form. But how that looks, I think we can actually certainly improve on that. And there's some really great examples um, that are starting to happen here in Australia but also what we're seeing internationally as well. So things like social supermarkets. So where, What's a social supermarket? Yeah, so they are sort of increasing particularly within the UK. So it's almost like this medium in between a regular sort of supermarket but what they have is perhaps foods that may be close to use by dates, that sort of thing. So people are able to have that choice. They they are purchasing, you know, mm. purchasing foods. Right. Um, they, you know, there's, there still is that variety. So there's some examples of that that are happening. And I know in South Australia there's actually, um, they're actually kind of testing that model um, as part of a, a larger research kind of project to see how that might work. I think even in the space of um, our existing kind of food relief, because we know that a lot of that relies on the charitable food sector oh. um, and, and charity, that there is a role to play with, with that. Um, but I think it's thinking about how those services are designed, how they, you know, do they give people choice um, and certainly f- through a lot of the the work that I've done in talking with people around this experience, that choice is really important. Mm. Um, There's and a dignity in choice. There is. There is. absolutely. It's very powerful. And the fact that the quality of the yeah. products, um, you know, meat, you know, are kind of, you know, they're still fresh, yeah. they're still something that, you know, uh, many people might take for
0: granted. And also imagine what people want as opposed to being given a box of food and you get what you get. Being able to go in and choose what you want to sort of tick that box we were talking about earlier about what's culturally appropriate just for me as an individual or as a family. What do I want in my pantry? Not what do you want to give me?
4: Yeah, More broadly sort of internationally to sort of like target some of those kind of bigger kind of um, determinants. Um, Scotland are doing are testing, a model around what they're calling a cash transfer mm. um, to, to households. So I think that's something that's um, who are sort of living within that, um, uh, that sort of poverty line in particular. Um, and so it's also helping to support, to lift people out of that poverty thing and i think that's something that if we look at the australian council of social service here in australia their raise the rate Mm. um policy and advocacy campaign is so important because i think during covid some of those social welfare reforms that came in we can see the impact that that had for many households and for the first time you know they could afford a fridge they could buy a freezer they could you know select you know buy fruit and veg regularly so that's the thing I mean that's the other thing too is you know people are make, having to make this I um I almost call it like a walking a food security tightrope it's like walking this tightrope so all these decisions that people are having to navigate yeah. around well is it the medication that we do yeah. you know we we pay for is it you know is it the rent yeah. is it that big bill that that bill shock that came in um we know the utility costs are increasing so it's all this navigational kind of and stress that households are constantly under Mm. and then having to think well do i do this or do Mm. i put food on the table so Mm. it, it can be really tricky
0: imagine if we don't do anything to improve food security in australia or around the world what do things look like in the next 50 years
4: Oh look, I would I'm I'm the optimist and I like to say in my crystal ball, I would like to say that we've, you know, we're working that we can put things in place, you know, we can um we can start to address some of those key things around um, you know, ensuring people have adequate housing, people are getting, you know, a better income, you know, employment stability, that we yes, we do have those support systems there for people. I think the challenge of if we don't start to do some of those things is that it continually falls back on the individual Mm -hmm. Um, and that what we actually need, it's not a response that fits with one, shall I say, government department or one area of of government or one area of society. I think collectively we all have a role to play um, in this and I think... One of the challenges I think particularly for, for governments is that we need to get out of this silo. Mm. Okay, it doesn't just fit with health or it doesn't fit with social, you know, social welfare. It fits across housing, you know, jobs, etc.
0: To take Sue's point even further, this isn't a problem for governments or scientific bodies to tackle alone either. Everybody eats, and everybody can make
3: an impact on food security. So my name is Liza Barber, and I work here at Monash University in the Department of Nutrition, Dietetics, and Food. So I'm a dietitian um, in the area of public health nutrition and food sustainability systems. I mean, our feed system at the moment is um, predominantly this industrialised food system and we need you know, we're all active players in the food system, so we need to demand more localised food systems and we actually have a lot of power. But what can we do? What can the average person at home do? My five top tips um, would be around promoting a sustainable food system. In Australia, we all need to eat less meat. Um, we need to eat more plants. Um, and my second um, top tip would be to opt for nude kind of whole foods where you can. By nude um, you mean? unpackaged. Um, so there's been this massive global proliferation of ultra-processed foods um, and those are those, um, yeah, really heavily packaged foods. They're really high in salt, sugar, um, fat, all the all the They kind want of, taste amazing. Exactly. <laughs> all the yummy things, they're marketed really cleverly. Um, and a third top tip is around minimising your household's food waste. Um, so lots of things we can do there. Um, and then number four is to put a face to your food. And this is something I talk to my kids about all the time is, you know, there's, there's human beings behind the food um, that we're all eating. And so getting to know those people um, helps us really value our food. So going to a local farmer's market or your farm gate trails, that sort of thing. And then lucky last is to, um, for all of us just to get our hands dirty. So there's no better way to understand the true value of our food than to watch how long it takes for a tomato to grow or to prepare that soil, get it ready for sowing seeds, that sort of thing. It's, it's a really tactile, therapeutic, beautiful thing to do to connect us um, to where our food comes from.
0: Liza also wants us to start talking about politics at the dinner table or rather talking to politicians about the dinner table.
3: Um, I would say to get involved in your local politics, which I know it sounds a bit um, left of field to start talking about politics with food, but... Um, you know it's all great for some of us to adopt these practices but our food system is so disrupted that we actually need a big population shift towards more healthy and sustainable diets and so um, if you can kind of advocate to your, your local government authority to um, start, I mean, the the best practice is to create a food system strategy for your local government area. Um, we've got some awesome examples in Australia. The city of Greater Bendigo has an incredible food system strategy and they've just um, received a designation with UNESCO's Creative Cities in the category of gastronomy to really um, acknowledge the amazing work that they've done here in Bendigo. Um, But yeah, really cool things happening overseas as well. So um, I guess, yeah, just advocating and and telling our our local politicians that we want this is important to us. Um, We want our kids to be able to enjoy healthy local food as well. And at the moment, it's just not looking like future generations are going to have that privilege. So So the next time you're at the
0: supermarket, buy the wonky banana. Use the sniff test on your milk instead of going by the best buy date. And maybe get your hands a little dirty in the garden. The future may depend on it. Thanks to all our guests on this series, Dr. Sue Cleve, Liza Barber, Ian Carson AM and Professor Roz Gledo. Visit our show notes for more information about their work and links to the resources they mentioned today. And thank you for joining us for our series on the future of food. We'll be back next week with an all new topic. If you're enjoying what happens next, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share the show with your friends.